0: I like it. That's good. I was telling people earlier this morning, I still haven't recovered from the time change, so a little rough. But anyway, all right, so this morning we are in Matthew 27. Uh, it's on page 884 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if that would help you. We are going to come back to the story of Jesus that we started at at the beginning of chapter 27. There's a break in the story where Matthew talks about what is going on with Judas. So, as a refresher, let's read the first three verses of chapter 27. When the daybreak came. All the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So Jesus has been convicted by the high priest and the elders for blasphemy. Earlier in chapter 26, at which point Jesus acknowledged that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and now stands before Pilate. These are the last few hours of Jesus's life before his crucifixion. And this is where we pick up the story this morning. But before we jump in, I want to frame this section around a very important question. I suggest to you that is the most important question that we can ask. It is the question that everyone has to answer at some point in their life. You might ask yourself, what is this? There are many famous, recognizable questions. To help demonstrate that, see if you can finish some of these questions you got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do ya? Punk? Who you going to call? Ghostbusters. All right, so we do have people that grew up in the same time frame, okay. For the older generation, who's on first? Abbott and Costello? Shakespeare, to be or not to be? That is the question to live or die? That is the question. These are all interesting questions, but even in the case of Shakespeare, there's even a more interesting question, and we find that question in verse 22 of our passage this morning. So go with me to 22. It says, Pilate asked them, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Once again, this is the number one question that everyone has to answer at some point in their life. As we read the scripture before us today, we'll see how people answered the question. First, we'll take a look at Pilate and how he answers the question. As we read about Pilate, we see that he was intrigued with Jesus, but when pushed, he chose the politically correct option. Then we'll take a look at the crowd, the people, and how they answer the question. The crowd is easily swayed to turn against Jesus. And finally, we'll look at the soldiers answer the question as they mock, they spit, and they beat Jesus. So let's dive into the text, starting with verses 11 through 15. Now Jesus stood before the governor, are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival of the governor's custom was to release the crowd of prisoner wanted. So we see here that Jesus is standing before Pilate. This would have been very familiar to us in regards to a courtroom scene. We have the prosecutors. They would be the chief priests, the elders. They would first present the accusations against Jesus. Then we have the judge Pilate and the defense, Jesus. The charges brought to Pilate were not the original charges of blasphemy. Remember in chapter 26, the elders and the high priests charged Jesus with blasphemy. That's not what they brought to Pilate. Instead, they deal with Jesus as being a threat to Rome as a king or an insurrectionist. The the Jewish leaders knew that Rome would not do anything in regards to the charges of blasphemy. So the chief priests and the elders had to plot against Jesus in order to come up with something for charges that Rome would actually be interested in. So they plotted. That's what we read about in the first three verses. They plotted, they schemed, they came up with charges that Rome would actually care about. The leaders have presented the charges, and Pilate has asked, are you the king of the Jews? Notice Pilate asks about Jesus being a king. Are you a threat to my kingdom? Jesus' responds to Pilate, not the Jewish leaders, with you say so can be interpreted as yes. And the Jewish leaders continue to testify against Jesus. I imagine the Jewish leaders very upset and continue to accuse Jesus while Jesus and Pilate are over here discussing. The Jewish leaders are over here just angry, upset, trying to make their best case, using emotion to stir and persuade Pilate. Pilate asks another question, don't you hear how much they're testifying against you? Jesus doesn't respond. He is silent. This is the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 53:7. Matthew is trying to show the Jewish people, as he's writing this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he fulfills prophecy. So we see in Isaiah 53:7, speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. Isaiah 53 is all about the coming Messiah. And Matthew is showing how Jesus fulfills the prophecy and the promised Messiah because the Jewish people had not yet made the connection. But Jesus is also doing something else here, he is submitting to the will of God, his Father. Because to provide an answer that would persuade Pilate to release him, which I believe he probably could have done in this situation, providing that response that would persuade Pilate would go against God the Father's will for Jesus. So Jesus is not interested in defending himself. Instead, he is focused on completing the task that he fully committed to back in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on mission, he has a plan. None of this is a surprise to him. He knows exactly what's going on. And so he's not gonna provide a response. And because of that, Pilate is quite amazed. He probably is also excited to meet Jesus There's no doubt that Pilate would have known about Jesus. Pilate would have informants, he'd have spies to keep tabs on what the Jewish people were doing. Pilate was a ruler in Judea, which is kind of where rulers went when they weren't popular with Caesar. It's like being sent on a job location in Timbuktu. And based off the history that we know, Pilate had some pretty harsh run-ins with the people. His soldiers would clash with people that were trying to overthrow Rome and lives were lost. So at this point that we're reading about this morning, Pilate could not afford an uprising by his mismanagement of the situation. So he's probably thinking about, how do I get out of this situation by without upsetting people. And at this point, Jesus' popularity was at fever pitch, and Pilate thought he could use this to his advantage. So he comes up with a plan that we learn about in the next passage. Let's look at 15 to 22. At the festival, the governor's custom wants to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At the same time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. "'For today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him.' "'The priests and the elders, however, "'persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas "'and to execute Jesus. "'The governor asked them, "'Which of the two do you want me to release for you?' "'Barabbas,' they answered. "'Pilate asked them, "'What should I do then with Jesus, "'who is called Christ?' They all answered, Crucify him. His plan, Pilate's plan, was to use the tradition of releasing a prisoner during the Passover as an act of good faith toward the Jewish people under his rule to get them out of trouble to get himself out of trouble. So clearly with Jesus's popularity, the people would surely pick Jesus over Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty, Jesus was not. So Pilate is thinking, obviously these people will pick the innocent person over the convicted person. However, that's not what happened. Instead, the people are persuaded to ask for the release of Barabbas. Now you might wonder how the chief priests and the elders were able to convince the crowd against Jesus. Sure, they may have threatened or promised them something. Jesus was also portrayed as a blasphemer, which went against the religious leaders and their teachings. So surely he must die. I think mob rule played a part as well. I'm reading a book for work called The Bellwether Effect. In the book, the author talks about only needing between 5 and 10% of people to agree in order to sway the majority. I'll say that again 5 to 10% to sway the majority, which is great if you're in the right, but it's terrifying if you're in the wrong. So the mob the people have decided that they want Barabbas over Jesus. And this is where it gets interesting, because we look at the word Barabbas, meaning son of the father, an earthly father. Then who was Jesus, Jesus being the son of the father, the heavenly father. So it's interesting that the people would pick the earthly option, because as you study Scripture. Earthly things lead to death. Heavenly things, picking Jesus, leads to life, which is not what they selected. They did not choose Jesus, instead they picked Barabbas. The people were presented with the most important question, what should I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? And they shouted, crucify him! They decided that they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They were easily led astray and turned their backs on him. Pilate, on the other hand, was not done answering our question before us today. So he asked more questions. Let's look at verses 23 to 26. Then he said, But they kept shouting, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting, instead he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. I want to believe that Pilate didn't want to crucify Jesus. He did see why Jesus was before him. It was the envy of the Jewish leaders. They were the ones accusing him. Even Pilate's wife, who we read about earlier, told them, stating that Jesus was a righteous man. Jesus is innocent. He even asked the crowd, Pilate asked the crowd, What has he done wrong? The people having made up their mind shout, Crucify him. Now, Pilate could have done the right thing and let the, Jesus go, but a riot was building. So instead of doing the right, noble, honorable thing and release Jesus, Instead, he chooses the politically advantageous option. He chooses to release Barabbas. Because Pilate can't afford another riot that would undermine his authority and possibly lead to his death for his inability to rule as Caesar demands. So there's a lot at stake here for Pilate. And he chooses the easy option. He answers the question, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? And he answers it by saying, in effect, I'm interested, I'm intrigued, but I can't. It doesn't make sense right now. But he couldn't live with the guilt of this situation. He is sending an innocent man to die. We might say he has blood on his hands for sending an innocent man to die. So he washes his hands to get rid of the guilt. This guilt cries out for justice. There must be justice for the innocent blood. The people are willing to take that guilt upon themselves and their children. They are saying, Let take the penalty for the shedding of this innocent blood. Some of the commentaries that I read stated that the penalty was the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by Rome. Penalty paid. The people's initial response of selecting Barabbas over Jesus was solidified by their response of taking on the penalty upon themselves and their children. And now Pilate completes his bad choice by releasing Barabbas. He had Jesus flogged. If you're not familiar with that, it's a horrendous act. They would have a handle with several straps of leather attached to it, which they would then embed bones and metal in it. And then they would take that whip and they would hit the person with it. And those pieces of bone and sharp metal would embed themselves into the skin. And then as they pull back, all of the flesh that's been attached would peel off. This is horrendous. This is ugly. They would beat somebody with that up to the point where their intestines could show. That's how bad this situation is. This is what Jesus took upon himself. Jesus suffered greatly, and this was only the beginning. The flogging was only the beginning of what he suffered. And we'll read more as we wrap up Matthew. But let's move on to verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After that, they mocked him. They stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. The soldiers did horrible things to Jesus. They lived in a culture that was full of brutal violence. Now, you might read stories about people that live in those type of environments and the horrendous things that they will do to a dead body that is severely injured, disrespectful, mocking. They are dehumanizing the person. And that dehumanizing allows them to treat the person differently. Psychiatrists would say this is a coping mechanism. When you're in an environment where there's severe violence, there's only certain ways to cope with it. And this is being one of them. Mocking, disrespect, dehumanizing. But what's interesting is we are humans made in the image of God. So even when someone doesn't believe in God, Truth about who we are as humans is still true, and people have to circumvent that truth through the dehumanizing acts. They have to circumvent the truth in order to treat people in the way that the soldiers are treating Jesus. The soldiers not only denied Jesus as the Son of God with their mocking but also degraded him to a value below human." And so the soldiers answered the question, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, by mocking and beating Jesus? Now I propose this question, what should I do then with Jesus, who called, who is called Christ, as the most important question of your life? Everyone has to answer this question. Everyone. So, how would you answer this question? How do you answer the question, what should should I then do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate was intrigued, but not enough to do the right thing. Instead, he did what was politically advantageous. Is this how you would answer the question? Jesus is fascinating, but I don't want him to interfere or disrupt my life. That might be uncomfortable. I prefer the easy road. The people were enamored with Jesus, but they were easily swayed. They didn't really understand who Jesus was, so they believed a lie that was perpetrated by the religious leaders. And as a result... They were led uh, away. Is this how you answer the question? Jesus is great, but I don't know enough about him to make an informed decision about who he really is and thus swayed by false teachers. The soldiers openly mocked Jesus and dismissed him. They didn't care about Jesus. Is this how you would answer the question? You might think to yourself, I don't mock Jesus, but isn't that what intentional sinning is? Your soul's way of mocking Jesus? I'm not talking about sin that you're working through, but instead the sin that you just let stay there, and you refuse to deal with it. For an example, anger issue. You might covet what other people have. Here's one that a lot of people don't think about, what about gluttony? I've been convicted with this recently. Alyssa has tried to make healthier options and choices as far as food goes in our house. Notice I said tried, and I have miserably failed, because I go to work. And at work, there's donuts, there's Rice Krispie treats, there's candy. And I just go to town. And unfortunately, I'm in a situation where I can hide that because I tend to burn the calories off. But that's one that's definitely stuck with me recently. And I don't think as a society we talk about that one enough. Just one to think about. But there's also for men and some women, it could be a sexual sin, an addiction to porn, These are the sins that hang around and they fly in the face of Jesus. They spit in the face of Jesus. Because they say, I'm choosing to ignore all that you, Jesus, have done to free me from my sin. Instead, I'd rather indulge in my sin and what makes me feel good. But there is hope. There's always hope. As long as King Jesus is on the throne, there is always hope. And side note, Jesus is always on the throne, right? So repeat that with me. There is always hope. There is always hope. Amen? Amen. And what's fascinating, when we go a little bit further in chapter 27, and we look at verse 54, we see some of the soldiers start to catch on. We see when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of God. There were some soldiers that later began to see how to answer this question correctly. Truly, this is the Son of God. Jesus was and is the Son of God, and as the Son of God, he should be exalted. Flip over with me to Philippians 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has exalted Jesus above all things. He is ruler of all. But first, as we read here, Jesus showed his love for us by humbling himself, dying on the cross in order to restore our relationship with him. See, that's that's the good news, that's the gospel. We as humans are broken. We sin, we do things that we should not do. We do things that are contrary to the nature of God. And there's a price to be paid for that. And God in his infinite wisdom sent Jesus to take that price for us. So He died on the cross for us in our place. He took that flogging. And later on, he goes on to that cross for us. That is the good news. Because in just a couple days, he rises from the dead. He conquers death. Death is defeated. It reigns no more, amen? So as we ask this question one more time, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? How do you answer the question? Is it like Pilate? I'll be around him when it's convenient. Is it like the people? Easily swayed? Is it like the soldiers that openly mocked him? Or as believers, we allow Jesus to be king of God? all aspects of our lives as only he can because there's really only two ways to answer this question when it comes down to it two ways to answer it either accept Jesus as king or deny him and make yourself king those are the two options if he is king in your life that is cause for celebration if he is not king in your then I submit to you, you may be headed in this direction, repent of that, turn toward him, chase after Jesus, cry out to him, ask for forgiveness, thank him for dying on the cross for you, that you may be made whole, made complete, restored to the way in which he designed you to be, complete in him. But if you're a believer this morning, like I said, it is a cause for celebration. And we celebrate that through the communion table. We celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross for us. We remind ourselves each week of what he has done for us. So the last four weeks, we've had different artists provide art pieces very talented artists in our community, providing art pieces in which to take in during communion. And today we have a video, so something a little bit different from Jess Lambis. And the video is entitled, Man is a Hungry Being. So we'll go ahead and play that video, and then the band will play. And I encourage you to take some time and reflect on the question, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Let the video and the question inform your time of communion. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.